Among the, uh, the various um, benefits of, of an approach that takes a, an entire book of the Word of God and, and strives to, to work through that book, um, there, are, there, are lots of, there are lots of things that does. Um, one of the things it does is it, it, um, <laughs> it, it keeps those of us on the teaching team from just honing in on our favorite topics and whatever makes us most comfortable. A temptation that would be very, very real. I have various topics I love more than others. And it also gives us, as I have certainly stood here and experienced on multiple occasions, the the blessed obligation to deal with a passage that's before us, whether or not it's one that I'd enjoy dealing with. I have, on many occasions, sat in my office and watched the approach of a paragraph that I don't want to deal with in my own heart, let alone with you. And there we come. But perhaps the greatest benefit of all is that we are, we are ushered into understanding the, the overall flow of what's going on in a given book of the Bible, which, which has as much impact on our understanding as, as just the paragraph. Often the paragraph taken in isolation doesn't suggest the depth of understanding. I think that's happening here. I confess, I have, I have taught from 2 Corinthians on innumerable occasions. But this journey that we're on right now with, with our, our body of Christ is the first time I've ever been a part of 2 Corinthians beginning to end. And I never saw until recent weeks this unifying flow of thought that, that, that God the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul is, is dealing with here. Three weeks ago, I, uh, I, I took an entire Sunday morning to deal with one verse, verse 17 of chapter five. And the, the core truth, which is a core truth of Christianity, the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. The fact that, that he who did not know sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Out of that, two weeks ago, Brother Chad developed the paragraph that talks about our role in the ministry of reconciliation. And if you've not listened to that message, I strongly commend it to you. That the, the, the fact that Christ has done on the cross what he has done for us flows directly into our lives as the amazing privilege and obligation, often privilege and obligation travel together, don't they? The awesome privilege and obligation of focusing as his spokespeople, his ambassadors, in this lost world. Then last week, Pastor Mark, the, the, the prohibition and 
um, and reasoning behind not being unequally yoked. You know what? A few months ago, I might have seen that as a change of subject. It's not. It's not. From the, from the reality of Christ's substitutionary death on the cross to the priority of the ministry of reconciliation to the reminder that as we execute life, with, with one of our highest objectives being to represent Christ before the world in order that we would be healthy and enthusiastic ministers of reconciliation, it is important that we not be linked in our most critical relationships with those who aren't following Christ. It's all one flow of thought. And once again, the subject does not change as we come to verses two through nine of chapter seven. Here in this paragraph, I think Paul is going to demonstrate in his quite personal appeal and, and, and description of his relationships and relationship with those in the church at Corinth, how, how critically important it is to be equally yoked. Beginning in verse two, 2 Corinthians 7. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Pastor Mark's definition of what it is to be unequally yoked, I have, uh, I have plagiarized it and placed it with, 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 I guess used by permission more than plagiarized. It's his, it's not mine, but it's really, really good. And it's on your notes this morning. To be unequally yoked is when I'm in any environment or relationship where we let the world influence our thinking and behavior. The central word picture, we'll come back and speak to it later, including the Old Testament verse that it's based on. But the, the idea is that, that the, the, the yoke is the, um, 
device, the mechanism, whereby beasties were, were strapped in for the business of either pulling a plow or pulling a load. And if you had an uneven strength in the yoke, then you were going to pull the plow sideways or pull the cart in a circle. If, if both animals weren't capable of, of doing what they were trying to do together, the objective was not going to be achieved. As Pastor Mark pointed out last week, we often take the, the prohibition of chapter 6, verse 14, do not be unequally yoked, and we narrow down its application to marriage. Certainly, as my brother Mark reminded us last week, it is not a good idea. In fact, it is disobedience for a believer to enter into marriage with an unbeliever. I don't believe any of us on this staff or elder body would conduct such a wedding. I certainly would never knowingly marry, and I am pretty thorough in my examination. I don't want, I don't want any part of a believer marrying someone who's not following Jesus. You say, well, I, I did that and it worked out okay. I can't tell you the sinful things that I have done that by the grace of God somehow worked out okay, but it's not a good idea. So to my unmarried friends, I would just caution you, don't do the first date with an unbeliever. Amen. Just don't do the first date so that you don't get it. Well, I'm afraid I've given away my heart. Don't get in that situation. By the way, it also applies to business partnerships. Do not put yourself in the harness pulling with someone who's not pulling for Jesus. Just don't. You will have relationships through life, friendships, relationships, all kinds of relationships, but consequential relationships where you are defining the course of how you're spending your time, your effort, your energy. Don't get in the harness with unbelievers. Well, most biblical prohibitions imply a, an encouragement in the opposite direction. We're encouraged to build solid relationships and get in the yoke with those who are following Christ. I believe we see a picture of that here. So, what can we find in equally yoked relationships? Whether those relationships are, are marital, whether those relationships are business, whether those relationships are, praise God, the body of Christ. First thing, number one on your outline, loyalty. Loyalty. How does that loyalty play out here in our text? Well, first, letter A, a, a mutually vulnerable connection. Make, make room in your hearts. Please make room in your hearts for us. Now, through 2 Corinthians, he's been correcting some stuff. He's, he's been pretty, pretty harsh. And apparently, there is a letter we do not have. He refers to it later in this paragraph with the, the letter that, that, that he sent with Titus, that Titus has come back to report the results. Scholars call it the grieving letter. And it, it would sit between 1 and 2 Corinthians. God, the Holy Spirit... Didn't think that letter was any of our business. He hadn't kept it for us. 
Paul has, has taken on the role of a, of a fairly, well, apostle making demands. This, however, is an extraordinarily vulnerable statement. Please make room in your heart for me. You wouldn't make that statement to someone you pass on the street. You wouldn't make that statement to the person behind you in line at Publix. Equal yoking provides an opportunity for the kind of loyalty that allows the kind of vulnerability that just makes the relationship real. And not just the vulnerable connection, but, but true collaboration. Another word Mark introduced last week, collaboration. We can, we can be engaged in things together with, with similar worldviews, similar objectives, similar passion for the glory of God. Um, leave behind the rest of verse two for a moment. I'll come back to it. Look at verse three. Paul says, I do not say this, this plea that there would be room in your heart for me. I don't say it to condemn you. I don't, I don't, I'm I'm not trying to grind you up. For I said before, you're in our hearts to die together and live together. We are so bound together that if you fail, I fail. If you succeed, I succeed. As I live, you live. And what kills me, threatens you. I praise God for relationships like that. I praise God. For me, largely, those relationships are within this body of Christ. That there are brothers and sisters in this body of Christ who own my victories with me and own my pain with me when there is pain, and I theirs. Authentic loyalty and relationships. I pray that you have found that. And if you haven't, my challenge to you is, are you extending that? Are there people in your life where you've made room in your heart for them and they've made room in their heart for you. Every now and then you encounter someone who says, well, I don't need anyone. I don't care what anybody thinks or says. And they think what they're making is a statement of strength. That is a statement that you're a sociopath. (laughs) People who are not sociopaths Live in relationship with others. Loyalty. Second, selflessness. Selflessness. Roman 2. Look back into verse 2. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. Letters A, B, C on your outline no willful harm of another. We have wronged no one. What an aspiration. 
What a, what a desire. What an amazing thing that Paul can make it as an honest statement. When I, uh, when I was sitting with uh, Dr., Dr. Adrian Rogers, at the time I was preparing to depart Bellevue, the, the church that I had served in Memphis for that time, about five and a half years. Dr. Rogers, who had a way with words beyond any man I've ever known. And I, man, I was young and I was green and I had made a lot of young green mistakes during my time on that church staff. And I'll never forget, he said to me, Russell, your, your leaving hurts us, but it does not harm us. Ooh, I have taken, I have taken to heart the difference between hurt and harm. We'll see later in this paragraph, sometimes if you've got the right kind of friendship with the right kind of brothers and sisters, from your spouse and radiating out to those with whom you are equally yoked, from time to time, you're going to hurt them. From time to time, you're going to be the one that says what needs saying. You're going to be the one who takes the action you need to take. If you're parenting, from time to time, you better be inflicting hurt on your kids. Ooh, that one sentence taken out of context, get me arrested. Let me, let me. <laughs> but you must not ever harm them. You better understand the difference between hurt and harm. Paul doesn't say here we never upset anybody. He doesn't say here we never cause anybody a moment they wish they didn't have to live through. He does say we didn't wrong anyone. We have corrupted no one. Again, what a statement to be able to make. We are to provoke one another to righteous deeds, not unrighteous deeds. And if you get into a yoke relationship with somebody who's not following Jesus, how are you going to avoid corruption being a part of that relationship? Not, not, I'm not talking about illegality necessarily. But there will be a loss of purity of purpose. Genuine concern for the well-being of others. We have taken advantage of no one. In an equally yoked relationship, we do not gain if it means the other person loses. Think with me of what Christ had and what he laid aside to endure all of what his coming to earth meant with its grand finale playing out on the cross. Praise God for the victory of the resurrection and that which comes after, but all loss for our gain. And those of us who follow Christ must certainly not be interested in gain at someone else's loss. That's what I love. I, I'm, 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 I know a lot of, I know a lot of uh, Christians who have, who have 
built or engaged in successful business. And what they have in common is they have the ability to find the win-win. Ah, look, if you're, in, if, you're in, if you're a believer in business, I hope your business prospers. But I hope your business prospers because what you're doing is providing things for your, your clients or customers that are for them beneficial. It's a win for them to have what you have provided. That's not gain at another's loss. They may be the one writing you the check, but what they get for the check is something that they're blessed to possess. That's a good thing. That's not gain at another's loss. We mustn't engage in gain at another's loss. We are to have a selflessness in relationships. And that mutual selflessness flourishes best. where there's an equal yoke, where the parties in the relationship have agreed that following Jesus matters most of all. Roman numeral three, honesty. I love this statement in verse four, I am acting with great boldness toward you. What I've called it in your, in your minutes is the latitude, or in your notes, the latitude for, a, for love hard, hit hard communication when that's called for. That phrase is also not original with me. Now, many years ago, in, in one of our very first elder meetings, when this body of Christ had first adopted the present constitution and had transformed our governance to a, a biblical governance model of a, a plurality of shepherding elders. In one of our very first meetings, we were challenged to let the spirit of our meetings be love hard, hit hard. Love hard means don't ever question and never let it be questioned that love is a given. That there is an atmosphere of unconditional self-sacrificial commitment to one another's well-being, it's given. I am in it for your well-being and you are in it for mine. Let there be no doubt. And once that atmosphere is established, don't take 30 minutes to say something you ought to say in three. Grab the table, brace yourself, and get it out. And if we end up disagreeing, let's have an honest disagreement and then let's go grab coffee and talk about life. My prayer for this body of Christ from that day to this has been let's have relationships where we speak the truth in love. That's love hard, hit hard, right? That we're not, we're not just, well, I just tell it like it is. Be careful, you might just be rude. Make certain that the love hard part is in place. And then hit hard. It's, it's, Gail and I have been attending the eight o'clock service for a whole lot of years. And a lot of my closest 
connections and personal relationships in this body of Christ are in this room right now. I won't be able to say that as much at 9.30 or 11, though I know and love and have strong personal connections with people in all three services. Some of my oldest and dearest friends are in the room right now, and I'm going to be careful not to make contact because, eye contact because some of those men, in fact, most of those men have had occasions where we've had those hit hard moments. I got, I got brothers in the room right now who have pulled me aside and told me what I need to hear from time to time. You got that? I ain't, I ain't doing that with an unbeliever. Someone has said wisdom never takes criticism from someone that you wouldn't take counsel from. I like that. If you wouldn't take their counsel, don't take their criticism. That frees me from a lot of criticism from people whose counsel would not matter much to me. The problem is I got a lot of people whose counsel I love having and upon whom I rely and then they criticize me with stuff I need to hear because it's honest. Roman numeral four, trust. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. That trust develops letter A in an atmosphere of healthy appreciation. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I'm overflowing with joy. There's where I got my title. To be equally yoked with people you can so profoundly appreciate. Gail, I didn't ask your permission and I'm not going to get overly personal. But if you know me and you know Gail, our marriage has to be to you miraculous. In fact, honestly, all you have to know is me. We are equally yoked and we have loved Jesus together October will be 40 years, and oh, how I appreciate her. I think she knows. She's smiling. She's not frowning and shaking her head. <laughs> I am further surrounded by stunningly godly, spectacularly gifted, enormously faithful brothers and sisters in this body of Christ if I haven't explicitly said it lately, what a great church this is to, to, to lead and love. Well, brother, you're kind. You're overly kind. Thank you for that. We must be that to one another. We must have that with one another. And I would suggest we cannot have that. That caliber of relationship with the unbelieving world. Healthy appreciation, comfort, and encouragement. We see in the first verses of the next paragraph, verse 5, 6, Paul, Paul has sent a letter via Titus to the church at Corinth, probably a letter written from Ephesus. And when Paul was waiting for Titus to come back with the church's response, we talked about all this in the context of 2 Corinthians, Titus didn't come back as quick as Paul thought he would. And so Paul left Ephesus and traveled across the Aegean Sea into, back into north, northern Greece, Macedonia, probably specifically to Philippi to await the arrival of Titus. The arrival of Titus is what 
spawned the writing of 2 Corinthians. But when Titus arrived, he told Paul, that letter that you had me carry, it shook him up, but it shook him up in a good way. And here Paul is saying, I am, I am pleased and comforted to hear that you've responded so well to what I say. I'm comforted not only by Titus's coming, verse 7, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me. So that, letter C, I rejoiced even in difficult seasons. This, this paragraph is written, this equal yoking celebratory set of verses is written in a context of a moment when the relationship is not going all that well. Things were difficult between Paul and the church at Corinth. They had some stuff they had to work on. And yet, Paul is able to say, because we have this bedrock I love the Lord and I know you love the Lord. I rejoice still more. Verse 7, I am overflowing with joy. Verse 4, even in a difficult moment in our specific relationship. There's nothing that grieves a shepherd's heart more than when a relationship collapses between two people who claim to follow Christ, whether that's a business relationship or a marital relationship. Equal yoking should buttress us against relationship failure. Doesn't prevent us from having a different viewpoint. We may have to wrestle through some stuff, but there's a trust. Now, I need to disclaim something. Because up to this point, Brother Russell, are you saying that it's impossible to have loyal, reasonably selfless, honest, trusting relationships with unbelievers? Are you saying that's impossible? No. It is, it is possible that you could have a reasonably loyal, selfless, honest, and trusting relationship with someone who's an unbeliever. But you shouldn't seek it. I have, I have some great neighbors in my neighborhood. And with many of the, 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 the folks in my neighborhood that I've been able to have conversations, I, I have a lot of really nice guys that aren't following Jesus. We have a, we have, you know, if they, want to, if they want to borrow a tool from me or me a tool from them, it goes great. We want to talk about sports, weather, work, it goes great. But I'm not in the yoke with those guys. I would avoid that, especially because of Roman 5. What do we get? We get reality. Look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. I wrote you a letter, I'm paraphrasing. I wrote you this letter and I grieved you. It was an uncomfortable letter for me to write, an uncomfortable letter for you to read. But as it is, verse 9, I rejoice because that grieving drove you to repentance. I'll have a lot more to say about that next week. Again, letter A on the outline, equally yoked animals can pull the plow or cannot, can, equally yoked animals can pull the plow in the same way with the same goal. 
We looked at Deuteronomy 22.10 last week. It's the Old Testament prohibition that's in the background of Paul's encouragement here. Don't put an ox and a donkey in the same plow or you'll never pull a cart straight. You'll never plow a straight line. The ox is gonna drag the donkey. Or else you're gonna look over there and the donkey's just gonna be like the donkey in Shrek riding on the ox's back going, this is a fun ride, you know. <laughs> the one and only time I will ever do Eddie Murphy from the pulpit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they can't be effective. And if the most important direction of our lives, look back in verse one of this very chapter, the last verse we covered last week. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I want to be in yoke with men and women who want that for me more than anything. And I want to want that for my closest associates more than anything. Reality, and you can't get that in a yoke with an unbeliever. The principal objective is to be more like Jesus. And if I'm spending my days, my time, my money, my energy, my effort, my passion in an unbalanced yoke, then that won't be the most important thing. The overwhelming goal of the Christian's life is to be more like Jesus. So, Brother Russell, are you saying I should go out and start cutting up all my relationships with unbelievers? No. Lead them to Jesus. Be your best course of action. And in future yoking opportunities, Connect the inner ring of your life with folks who are passionate, not only about following Jesus, but folks who are passionate about playing a role in your following of Jesus. You won't get that with an unequal yoke.